most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Welcome to episode 186 of Keeping Up With The Joneses, where this week we are going to talk about the presence of God. Before we get to the presence of God, yes, I think our listeners want to know that you reached a major milestone in your Zelda career this week. Oh, in my Zelda career. Yes, I did. I beat Calamity Ganon. And Dark Beast Ganon. Yes, which is another secret Ganon that you don't even know exists until you beat the main bad guy and some other bad guy appears who's supposed to be worse. Or you listen to this podcast, you find out. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Sorry. The game's been out for, you know, a year, so. Yeah. Well, I didn't know, you know. You didn't know that that was going to happen? Well, I knew, I knew like a week or two ago when you beat him. Right. But I was like, what? what? You know, the whole time you're just like, okay, I have to finish all these things and then beat Calamity Ganon. And what made you want to go to the end and beat the bad guy? Uh, I did it. I did it by accident. I did it too. Um, you're in the castle. It's yeah. only right you're in the neighborhood. You should go visit the bad guy. Well, I was exploring the castle and I had just recently figured out how to beat Lionel's. And so I was trying to harvest Lionel's. Uh, for parts, basically, because you get to upgrade armor. It's the strangest thing. We anyway, must sound so weird to people so who've strange. never played Zelda. I apologize. <laughs> so I just went to beat some bad guys, and I ended up like five steps from where Calamity Ganon was, and the kids were like, beat him, beat him, beat him. And I thought, eh, why not? So I did. Like a boss. Actually, he was e- easier to beat than some of the other bosses, if you ask me. It's true. Yeah. All right. This week, you taught on Esther verse by verse. I did. Talk me through that. Verse by verse? No, <laughs> it's going to no. take a while. <laughs> there was boas and uh, oh, beads, yes. and it looked like Mardi Gras gone wrong. Talk to me about that part. No, no, it's Mardi Gras gone right. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, the Jewish believers celebrate a thing called the Feast of Purim, or Purim, however you want to pronounce it. Um, and uh, they still celebrate it to this day, and it's the feast that Mordecai and Esther put in place uh, after the defeat of Haman and their people get saved. So um, they celebrate Purim every year and it's a feast that's about thankfulness and, you know, gratitude um, and for having, you know, avoided a genocide, basically. Um, Good thing to have a feast about. Yeah. So they pray, they pray prayers of being thankful and uh, celebration and it's a big party and they dress up. And the reason that they dress up is uh, to symbolize it looking like circumstances were going to go one way, but God had something hidden underneath to turn it around. So they dress up as like a symbol, as, as, as a symbol of, you know, that God is always working behind the scenes of what you see in front of you. Amazing. So it's kind of cool. So we did that and we ate a whole bunch of Purim food and we took up an offering and gave it away. And we just did the whole, we did a Purim celebration after reading verse by verse through Esther. It's a highlight of every year. I love it. It's so fun. And and everybody seems to really enjoy it. So it was great. What's the Jewish bread that I love? Uh, Challah. Oh, so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. We have um, our friend Betsy makes it for us every year and it's just addictive. Yeah. And we had our friend David Wagner in town. We did, and it was lovely to have him here. I can't remember which episode David was on, but it was a killer episode. It was great. His testimony is amazing. Unbelievable. David's yeah. a, a prophet from Florida who's just super kind, super gentle, loves the father, the father loves him. And if you haven't heard David's story, uh, you, I would really, really encourage you. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It's 
it's going to be easily one of the most encouraging things you ever listen to. Yeah, it's really, really good. And you went to a movie without me this week. Mm-hmm. With, with, mm-hmm. Your, with your permission. <laughs> it's true, you did. Uh, you had my permission. I haven't actually even heard from you. How did you like Black Panther? I really enjoyed it. I think it was a, a departure from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in much of the way that Spider-Man was a departure. And the departure isn't bad at all. It was just... You know, it's a standalone movie. It was really, really good. Very powerful. Great storytelling. Some amazing plot developments. And some great character banter. You know, oh, good. You know how Marvel's really funny and witty? Yes. They they had some of that there. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Some of the fight scenes were a bit fatiguing for me. But, you know, I have battle fatigue. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, we know how this ends because we know he's in the new Avengers movie. So we know he wins. Don't draw right, us out. Right. Spoiler, he, he does win. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was really powerful. It was made all the more powerful. The f- I watched that Friday night, Saturday morning. I w- was on YouTube and I was watching uh, Jimmy Fallon and uh, Chadwick Boseman. Is that his name? I have no idea. The main the main actor oh, okay. who plays Black Panther. Yeah. And they were... It was just I put it out on Twitter. It was really moving, and it was a bunch of people from the black community who were just commenting on what an impact it was to have a black superhero and the impact that it made on them, and just the story. And I was in tears watching it. So basically, what they'd have they'd have audience members come out and just you know really honor Chadwick for his role and honor the cast. Say, hey, this is what the movie meant to me. This is how powerful it was. This is because um, huge powerful messages in there not only for the black community but also for uh women as well they portray women in a very powerful powerful way uh powerful not out of anger powerful not out of rebellion just powerful because women are powerful, powerful yeah. yeah and so they're honoring him and they just think they're doing like that video segment not realizing he's actually behind the curtain and then he steps out, and it's just, it's a beautiful, very oh, movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to look for that. Yeah, I'd watch a movie first, then watch that. Okay. Really impacting. And you had a very interesting dinner with the children as well this weekend. I did. I, I was trying to teach Tia how to ride a bike. Yes. I taught Abby how to ride a bike. The trouble is, I can't remember what I did to teach her. Oh. It's a bit like swimming. You know, you think they're going to drown, and they flail ungracefully, and then eventually... Without your help, they start swimming. Well, I think with Abby, we took the pedals off and she just pushed it until she got all of her balance. Well, I tried that too with with Tia. And you know, the trouble is I'm so out of shape that pushing my daughter, you know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay we're done. <laughs> and we live on hills, so that doesn't help either. <laughs> yeah, but she loved it. And then each of the kids wanted to go out for a bike ride with daddy because Tia got to go out for us. So anyway, I, I had a great bonding. And then Saturday, I took them all out for dinner. You, you were heading out for dinner, and so me and the and, kids went on a date. And do you want to confess what you uh, fed them? I don't think that matters. I don't think the audience is interested in that. I I think it's important to bring to the light that you gave them milkshakes. I gave the kids milkshakes. <laughs> That's right. Because I'm the fun parent. You know, we need to talk about this because they're actually starting to say that now. <laughs> Maybe it's true. It's like, I think, you know, every relationship is good cop, bad cop. I'm I'm clearly the good cop. Oh. You're the bad cop. Okay. But how come I don't get to be the good cop because I do, like, their laundry and feed them and things? Well, kids don't value that no. at this age. 
in time they'll look back and realize, oh, I have cavities because of daddy, but a tidy bedroom because of mommy. There you go. And it'll all even out in the end. But on the way home, me and the three kids had a fascinating conversation about where babies came from. And yep. I just thought, I'm just going to take the opportunity and just as nonchalantly as I can explain where babies come from. And <laughs> much hilarity ensued. Um, which I, I, and then I thought, I don't know if you wanted to be there for that conversation. I mean, it's not like it's the only conversation we're going to ever have. It well, heavens just, no, we had one this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the first pass of the conversation. Yeah. And T was like, by special cuddle, you mean this goes there? And I'm like, that's, that's right, darling. And then I had to explain to them that, hey, in the same way that we told you that Santa doesn't exist, <laughs> and the same way that we told you, uh, like why we don't celebrate Halloween. There's going to be lots of your friends who do believe in Santa or lots of your friends who do like Halloween and we're not going to ruin what they do or don't know. And, you know, something like where babies come from is something that mummies and daddies get to tell their own children. So even though you know, don't lord that over your friends. And they're like, yes, daddy. And then I had to go through them one by one. Tia, do you understand? Yes. <laughs> MJ, do you understand? And then, of course, MJ wants to go through every variation uh, of every variable of what it what he could say and what he couldn't say. <laughs> and I'm like, honey, stop looking for uh, a loophole. Just so no. I, this is fair warning to all of our friends who have kids who are friends with our kids. You might want to have that talk faster rather than, than later. <laughs> oh my goodness, unless hopefully, you want my kid's version. Hopefully they're not going to shatter your uh, children's perceptions of things. Um, I do like though, that even though they're, I mean, I think MJ is kind of young to know that I, I, you know, but, right. but, uh, I do like that there's, it's not something that's shrouded in mystery or shame or anything else because. And I think that was part of my yeah. reason. I just thought, like, either we just make it a big deal where we like, now you get the talk, or, it, I mean, everything we've taught them has come out of relationship. It's not been like, now we're going to have this awkward conversation. It's been this back and forth banter. You know, they, they ask us. I mean, I remember Tia saying, tell me everything you know about the glory of God. It's not like you sit down and go, okay, guys, now I need to tell you about the glory of God. But right. think about how they got saved. Right. Think about, you know, all of our conversations, have all the difficult ones we've had, have all just come out of them asking questions. And I actually, I love it. And I thought, if we just treat this as, as normal as it is, and then add why it's special but not shameful, hopefully... Hopefully, this will set them up well. And again, it wasn't graphic. You know, I just used proper terms, which they all know because they've always referred to their genitalia by this proper names. We've sex-proofed our kids. We've told them, you know, people are not allowed to touch or look. Um, and if anybody tries, you scream, you scream out, no, that's my body. And you come and tell a parent. And, you know, so we've been very, very frank with them. And I think this was just an extension of the frankness and at later stages, we'll have a more detailed conversation. There was enormous amounts of giggling this morning at the breakfast table when Tia and MJ were retelling about the conversation. Oh, yeah. Tia retelling the conversation, MJ giggling, and Abby just looking at her cereal with her head down, eating and saying nothing. <laughs> so we might need to circle back with that. Well, the most amazing part was when I explained to them how babies were made, they were like, wait. So you and mommy, and I'm like, yes, three times. Oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just three times. Night That's night. Gross. <laughs> so good times. Adventures in parenting. There you go. Our inspiration for our main topic this week comes from being at Grayson this morning. We went to church as normal, 
and worship met and Tiffany Crowsthorn were leading worship and there was an unusual anointing on worship first service. I was like, this kind of feels like second service worship. And then just the sweetest presence of the Lord came down and we just worshiped through the whole time. In fact, went almost into the second service, but, but Jeff stopped the service, which I'm sure the musicians were thankful, not only their fingers, I'm sure the guitarists, <laughs> but also their bladders. Right. And, you know, we got to quickly grab some tea and a cup of coffee before we did it all again in second service. And again, this beautiful presence of the Lord. And I just thought, I, I love this. This is what we live for. Yeah. And I thought it would be fun to talk about the presence of God. And, you know, often when we're recording these podcasts, I have me as an audience member in mind, me 20 years ago, me wanting to know about the stuff that is so normal for us today, but seemed so far off and mysterious back then. Right. I don't know why you're listening, but hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully we're we're just really trying to demystify and explain some of where stuff is in the Bible. We never try and teach on the podcast. We teach for a living. The podcast is more conversational, but I digress. We're talking about the presence of God yeah. this evening. So when you're talking about the presence of God, why don't you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I I think, you know, one of the facets of God that we're all familiar with is his omnipresence, the, the notion that God is everywhere. Right. So I remember, for example, when Toronto happened, when the outpouring happened in Toronto, I remember one of the criticisms that I heard from people was like, well, God's everywhere. Why would I need to go there? Right. And I'm like, that's a logical argument on paper. It's really poor in experience. Right. Well, it's the difference between the omnipresence of God, isn't it? And the manifest presence of God. Right. The omnipresence being the fact that God is everywhere, but the manifest presence is is where God is here, where God manifests his presence, God shows up, and tangibly there's there's an experience, there's an encounter of God. It's remarkable when, not to be too poetic, but when heaven kisses earth, some something happens. Yeah, for sure. And I was just thinking about, I have experienced the presence of the Lord both privately and corporately. Privately meaning in my own devotional times, in my own quiet times. I, I was just thinking this morning, in the middle of worship, in the middle of this amazing um, presence of the Lord, I remembered I would have this in my bedroom at home when I lived in Scotland. Wow. I would remember just waiting on the presence of God, and the presence of God would show up, and I would literally commando crawl underneath my bed, and not hide from it, but it just felt so intense. I just thought, Lord, if you don't lift off me. You know, it's funny, I'd ask for the presence to come, and then when the presence of the Lord would come... You'd hide under your bed. I'd have to ask him to take it off me, because I thought, I'm going to die. I don't think this mortal frame can sustain the weight of your glory. So there's the private, in my experience, presence of God, but then there's this corporate manifest presence, which is amazing. So when a group of people come together and there's this increased awareness that the Lord is is here, he's in our midst, there's a sense of awe, there's a sense of his presence, you can feel hope rising, you can feel faith rising. Yeah. And it's astonishing. Yeah. So I thought tonight we could talk about things that help cultivate a presence of the Lord and things that hinder the presence of the Lord. All right. Well, give me a list of things that help. Your all right sounded very Scottish there. It did? All right. All right. Well, I was thinking it's no surprise that for us, the, the, the presence of the Lord is usually ushered in in worship. I don't think it always has to be that way, but... There's something about worship that brings about the presence of God. Oh, for sure. 
and it's also in the Bible. <laughs> well, that's helpful, isn't it? Like in Psalms 100, it says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Like we literally enter into the presence of the Lord through thanksgiving and through worship. And there's something super powerful about proclaiming the name of Jesus and worship and and adoration. And there's a verse that everybody, I don't think they misquote, but they quote an old version of it. It's Psalms 22 verse 3, where it talks about the Lord is enthroned on the praises of Israel. So we often quote it as the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I think that comes from Psalm 22 verse 3. But there's a sense where God is enthroned on the praises, it says there, and praises of Israel. But when we worship the Lord, we're just like, ah. And, and I think it's, when we're not going through the motions, when there's a genuine heart to connect, the Lord loves to respond to that. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, it's a difference of coming to church expecting something uh, and, you know, in, in expectant hope or sort of coming and punching your, your time clock with God. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I punched in at church today, so check, I've done that thing, you know. I think along with worship is also hunger, probably pretty much what you were talking about. We would notice that like in Toronto, there was always, when we were there, I remember there was always the presence of the Lord. You could go in the sanctuary and be empty and you could feel the presence of the Lord. On Sunday mornings, you'd feel the presence of the Lord. But when conferences happened... It was the escalated. presence of the Lord would just increase. And yeah. I think because you've got a room full of really hungry people who've, who've, in one sense, it's, I don't mean to be controversial, but in one sense, they've put their money where their mouth is. They've, yes. They have paid money to fly, sometimes from the other side of the world. They've paid money to come to a conference. They've placed a value. Not that you can ever place a value in the presence of the Lord, but it's not something they're taking for granted. They're not coming out of habit. They're coming with a purpose, and that purpose is they want their hunger filled. Right. And there's something so powerful about that. Totally agree. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I think that is one of the most profound verses in Scripture. Yeah. You can move the Lord of the heavens towards you by simply moving towards him. I took that verse super seriously. Yeah. I mean, I still do. But I remember when I read that verse <laughs> and was just thinking, wait, if that's true, that started my Thursday night dates with the Lord. I used to take Thursday nights from seven to nine. I'd cancel out my calendar and I would just that, I'd block off that time. And I would say, I don't know what it looks like to draw close to the Lord, but I'm going to do my best. And that's when the presence of the Lord started showing up. I just was like, Lord, this time is dedicated to you. And I would come and I would soak and I would journal and I would just say, Lord, I just want to be with you. That's that's all the only reason why I'm here. This is not out of duty. This is not out of religious observation. This is about me wanting my heart to be satisfied by the things I know it's crying out for. Yeah. And the Lord would show up. And I think this list that we're coming up with is works for both corporate and private encounters with the presence of the Lord. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think, yeah, exactly. Coming hungry and coming from a place of thankfulness. I think whether you're doing that on your own in your, you know, in your house or whatever, whether you're doing that corporately, I think the difference with corporately is when you have a couple hundred people coming together hungry. Uh, again, it, it the atmosphere just shifts really fast. I have a friend who's a conference speaker, and he said there's stories he only tells at conferences because the faith level on Sundays is so low. 
Oh, that's sad. He says, I, there's only stories I can tell at conferences because people have placed a value on being there. Right. They've inconvenienced themselves, so their faith to believe the testimony is much higher. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a sad reflection on our Sunday services. T- yeah, it, it really is. All right, my last suggestion on things that help encountering the presence of the Lord is humility. Good. When you think about the presence of the Lord and you think about your encounters with the presence of the Lord, no matter how strong they are, they all pale into comparison with being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and becoming pregnant with the Messiah. I think we could agree. Um, Yes. Right? Yes. So, I mean, you talk about experiencing the presence of the Lord, that just takes it to a whole other level. So I've often thought about Mary. I've thought about, like, why, why Mary? You know, why not her next-door neighbor, Rhoda? You know, why not the girl in the other village? Rhoda, that well-known. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, why? What was it about Mary? Right. And I think there's something in Luke chapter 1 you see after Mary finds out what's happened. In response to this, her prayer is, says this, For God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Yeah. And all generations will call me blessed from now on. I'm like, yeah, they, they really will. Yeah. But there was something about her humility, I think, that the Lord was like, you you would be an amazing incubator of the presence of the Lord. Right. And I'd actually trust you to raise the manifest presence of the Lord. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. There's something, there's something so beautiful about the lowliness of the Lord. If you think about God, like how, I mean, literally, he's the God of the universe, and yet he loves to dwell among the lowly. There's something about humility I mean, we're all beneath him. Yes. We're all beneath him. Like, we're, we're just, we're nothing. What is man that you're even mindful of him? And yet, the lower we go in humbling ourselves, the more attractive we become to him. I, it's just mind-boggling. It really is. And I think, I think that there's even something in that in terms of, I think where sometimes we, we go wrong or we miss it is God is doing something and we think somehow it's about us. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the Lord shows up in a service or whatever, and it's about, oh man, God used me to do X or, you know, whatever. And I don't think it can be about that. I think it just has to be about God being God and bringing transformation. And we just happen to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's three things that help. Give me two things that hinder the presence of the Lord. Well, I was kind of kind of edging towards that. I, I think one of them is control, like wanting to control the way God's moving or wanting to control what it looks like. Right. Um, which, you know, is just really funny, but we do try and control God or box God all the time, don't we? Right. And often that's just our fear. Yeah. Of looking foolish or, you know, what would happen if God gets out of control, so we kind of want to maintain control. <laughs> what would happen if God got out of control? Right. <laughs> As if we could actually control him anyway, but yeah, Totally. Yeah. What does control look like in your own personal life? Like, I can think of control in a corporate sense that, you know, you got a pastor who, like Jeff said, you know, one of the difficulties with the morning like this morning is we have confines and structures called church services. And they're designed for our good, but what about when the Lord shows up and is like, hey, would you adore me for a little longer than you were planning? Look, what are, what are we going to do? Right. What does having control issues look like in your personal life that would hinder the presence of the Lord? 
Well, I I suppose it's it's anything from even you had a plan for what the day looked like and the Lord's like, hey, come spend time with me, you know? And it's like, oh, but I had this day perfectly planned and you fit in right. this nice little box over here on the left, you know, um, and, and giving that up. Yeah, sometimes it's dictating the terms of God's um, appearing. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, Lord, I was actually hoping that you wouldn't manifest and make me cry. Right. Perhaps you could manifest and make me wealthy. That that, yeah. that would be great. Right. Or, oh, Lord, you've shown up and you're bringing conviction. Yeah. I was hoping you'd bring the prophetic. Yeah, you're talking to me about stuff that you want me to deal with. Drat. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's control. That makes sense. Yeah. What's your second one? I think the second one is haughtiness. Like just pride. Right. Pride is really, it's really ugly to God, right? Psalms 138 verse 6 says, he knows the proud from afar. It's interesting that he's far away from the proud because he knows them from afar, you know. I mean, the harshest words that the Lord spoke were reserved for the religious leaders of the law. Yeah. The people whose knowledge had puffed up. Yeah. I mean, one of the saddest verses in all of scripture is Jesus standing before the Pharisees saying, you study the scriptures in vain, and yet they testify about the one who's standing in front of you. Right. You know, they prided themselves in knowing the scriptures, but missing the one the scriptures testify about. Yeah. I'm just like, Lord, I, you know, I think the difficulty with both control and haughtiness is they're both the things that pass for decently in an order in most churches today. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you put a shirt and a tie on control and haughtiness, and it looks respectable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, that's that's a great visual. Right, just as, true. just as fear masquerades as wisdom, so control and haughtiness masquerade as, you know, decent and in order. Yeah. And I don't know, I, you know, I, I never like being critical about the church, but I just, I wonder what we're aiming at. You know, recently we we got away as a as a senior leadership team just to think and pray about grace in our some direction, and I, I I loved our time away. I loved our time of reflection. We we just rolled some of that stuff out with our staff. We'll be rolling it out to the, the the church later. Just this whole value that we have on the presence of the Lord makes me so happy. Yeah, me too. Because it means the reason we come to church is for Him. Right. Again, no no disrespect to churches that have another vision. I think you, you need uh, all sorts of churches to make the body full. But some people go to church because they want to be taught well. Some people go to church because they want to enjoy the worship. Some people want to go to church for the community. or Some people want to go to church for the outreach. None of those things are bad at all. That's just really not our focus. And I'm not saying we're better or worse. I'm just saying our goal and the reason we go to church it's for him. Yeah, just to meet with him. It's it's primarily for him. And sure, we benefit from that encounter with him. But our primary goal is to go and adore the Lord. And out of that, everything else flows. Yeah. And I, I love that. I that, that makes me feel like this is what I was built for. Yeah. A- abandonment and adoration. So good. We don't want to just talk about the presence of the Lord at Grace Center. We actually want to encourage you that the presence of the Lord is to go. Like you can like take, take it home away, with you. Take away food. Yeah. yeah. To go. Like the same presence that I encountered this morning was the same presence I encountered 20 something years ago in my, in my apartment in Edinburgh. Wow. And I want to encourage you 
the things that I think, just like three steps into the presence of the Lord. Number one is place a value on it. I know that sounds dumb, but I remember being at a conference. I remember I'm a part of this church back in Scotland. I remember going to a conference with friends of mine from the church that we were part of that that wasn't pro-Holy Spirit. It's not that they were against the Holy Spirit. I just don't think they had a revelation of the stuff that we're talking about. But anyway, me and a couple of friends, we go to this conference where John and Carol are there, and the presence of the Lord is amazing. During ministry time, they're offering prayer for everybody. And I say to my friends, are you going to come up and get prayer? And their response shocked me. Their response is, why would I want what they have? Wow. And I just realized, oh, you you don't have a value on what I'm seeing. Yeah. Now I understood it probably looked weird to them. It probably looked strange. It it does look weird sometimes. For sure it does. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. But lots of things in the Bible look strange on one side of Revelation. Yes. Like the king who had to go dip in the, the Jordan seven times. Right. I'm sure that looked funny. Right. On that side of the Revelation. But once he had dipped in the Jordan and had brand new skin, it didn't look weird at all. Right. Everything on one side of a revelation, I think, is built to test the mind. You know, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. I think once you step over that, the trick is having a value for what's on the other side without objecting to the journey. Right. Right. Yeah, and just keeping your heart open to whatever it is that God is uh, asking. Have a value. And and the value has to be on the Lord himself. I, I was thinking about all the times in Scripture said, and the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. I love healing. You know, I love that. I love signs and wonders. I love prophetic ministry. But I never want those to be idols in place of the presence of the Lord. Right. So, yeah, all those things come out of the presence of the Lord. But if we can desire the Lord's presence for the Lord, that's a great value to cultivate. Yeah. Second thing This escaped me for a long time is you can ask for his presence. I thought I was never going to experience the presence of the Lord because I couldn't afford a flight to Toronto. Right. And your your church didn't look like that. Right. I thought there was this huge party over there and I can't go to it. I'm invited, but I can't get to it. And therefore, I'm going to miss out on it. Right. And that's just not the kingdom of God at all. Right. In, In one sense, the Lord is not hindered by geography. In another sense, he really loves geography. But I found that the Lord would come to me in Edinburgh and I'd have incredible encounters. That's not to say I didn't get an impartation when I went to Toronto, but it is to say you can ask for his presence and have an expectation that he will show up for you. Yeah. And then number three, out of that expectation, create space for his presence. I think sometimes we ask and just think that God's just going to fit into our schedule. Mm. I think when we stop and create space, we make room for the answers we've asked for. Yes. So it's like, Lord, I'm going to ask for your presence. Okay, Lord, this Friday morning, I'm just going to spend with you. Carve out the time, just soak, just pray, just rest, just be with him. Right. And you will be astonished at what happens. So good, baby. Do you want to listen to this question? Sure. All right, this is a great question. This is from Catherine in California. She asks, Dear Alan AJ, I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now, and I've enjoyed it so much and shared it with my husband. Your tales of the Switch and everything Apple have been so fun as I share all of those interests too. My husband even got me into Zelda Breath of the Wild. I'd just like to say Catherine and Catherine's husband, you guys are clearly people gifted with brilliant tastes. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Catherine continues, I enjoyed your recent podcast on praying in tongues. 
My question is, how do you pray for someone in tongues? Do you just think of them and start praying in tongues? Do you say their name out loud and then start praying in tongues? Maybe these are silly questions and I'm getting wrapped up again in the left brain mechanics. Thanks so much for your advice. With love from California, Kathy. Well, that's interesting. I don't know that I pray for other people in tongues. Really? Yeah. I usually pray for them in English. Do you? I pray for people in tongues all the time. Do you? Yeah. I, I don't know that I do. I pray on my own in tongues. You know, I pray when I'm driving the car or during worship service or whatever. Um, I guess I've prayed for the kids in tongues. I don't say their name, though. I just pray in tongues. What about your when you're on prayer ministry team? I mean, I know we don't pray out loud in tongues because that's just, you know, weird. But often when I'm praying for somebody, I lay hands on them and I'm just praying. I'm praying in tongues you know, just gently beside them. Do you ever do that? No, not really. No, I usually pray in English. Well, yeah. given age, you can't answer that yeah, question. Yeah, I can't answer it. Go ahead, babe. Uh, let me give you an answer. I literally do that. I just tend to think of the person if I'm lifting them up in prayer and I just think of this person. And usually I start in English, Lord, I thank you so much for Kathy, Lord. I just thank you for who she is and what she's going through. And then I'll just switch into tongues and intercede for who, you know, you in this case. I'll just I'll just start praying in tongues. And that's pretty much how I do it. I, I don't think I've given any other thought to it. I just trust that given God knows what I'm saying and God knows my heart and intent, I hope it's reaching the right destination. Okay. I think the kingdom is way simpler than we might imagine. Yeah. And I don't think that the Lord is sitting up there going, well, you know, you did it this way and you did it that way and I'm only honoring it that way. You know, I think, I think, I don't know. I just think God's so much bigger than that. He really is. If you'd like us to answer one of your questions on the air, head over to com slash ask. I'm assuming most people know, but my name is spelled A-L-Y-N. So when we say Alan and AJ, there's an L and a Y in there, which might not be immediately obvious. Well, thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by listeners just like you who support the show via Patreon. To learn how you can support the show, get behind-the-scenes info, and access to our ongoing video developments, visit patreon.com slash Alan and AJ. If you want the show notes for this week, go over to alanandaj.com slash 186. And finally, there will be no show next week as we're out of town. So we'll see you in two weeks time. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee They are just like you and me Alan and AJ Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses Sharing their life experiences Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses They talk about faith in God And everything under the sun If you are a human being There's something here for everyone